Welcome into the Sports Buffoons Podcast. Welcome back into the studios, boys and girls. We have our boys, Tana Dawson and Jason JG and Mike Soto. What's up, guys? What's going on, everybody? What up, yo? It was a very fantastic Wednesday night for us, isn't it? Uh, How you guys feeling? Quite nice, actually. I'm feeling real good about that Royals game we got to see a little oh, bit ago today. Uh, I was getting worried for a minute just because, you know, it's good to, good to get up on the, on the Angels that way and mm-hmm. uh, to get a win in that fashion. Six to one was the final score. And our boy Brad Keller finally went out there and gave us his A game. Took him long enough. Hey, he, he finally saw Keller come into play. That's what, that's what we've been waiting for. His ERA after the game one was like 40. Yes. And I think he got it down after his third start now, down to nine and a half. Correct. That's a, that's we a are, big We're in single digits. That's good we for him. That, that is good to see for Brad Keller because we're getting a little bit worried about him out there. And uh, actually, we had our buddy Tim. He was a kind of open invitation yep. to, for someone to join him for the Royals game today. And my first thought was, wait a minute, who's the pitcher? And I couldn't remember at first. And then, then I was like, wait a minute, Brad Keller? Hell no, I'm not going to that game. And <laughs> All right, well, maybe I regretted it. So it could have been a great time, great weather out there for uh, Kauffman Stadium. But do you guys really believe in what we just saw out of Brad Keller? Uh, do you think this is a legitimate start for him? Or do you think this is kind of some uh, buffoonery going on? Or is, he, is it a fraud? I think it's buffoonery. I mean, I appreciate okay. the fact that he lowered his ERA from 40 down to a 9.58. But, I mean, I think it's just one game. I don't want to get carried away. I certainly don't think I wouldn't call him the ace of the staff, but maybe you guys have a different opinion. But I think it's a long season, and uh, I, you know, he had a great game. That's, that's I'm going to leave it at that. Do we, do we have to label an ace on every ball club, or can we just? Is it okay just to have a rotation say, that has no starter, aces? Well, I, I wouldn't do it on starter. the Royals. That, that's the one team yeah. I wouldn't name an ace. on. I don't think there's an ace <laughs> on this team by the definition of it. What do you think, Tanner? No, I don't. I don't think there's an ace definition wise but uh brad keller i actually think this is for real so as you saw the end of his second start towards the end of his second start he did uh did not allow any runs in the third inning before he got pulled and you're starting to see him actually control more of the movement that he's gained throughout the offseason from last year his four seam does spin off a little better uh and it's taken him a couple games to adjust and get it like get it controlled to be able to throw it in the strike zone or throw it, place it where he wants to. So I think this is for real. I think we're going to start seeing better Keller come out of play, and uh, I think he's really he'll really progress in the season now. But if I had to pick one, for me right now, it's going to be Danny Duffy until proven otherwise because he's the veteran of the team uh, as far as pitching staff goes. I guess you could talk about Holland and Davis being on the roster, but Duffy's been here the entire as duration. As a starting pitcher. Right, yeah. So as a starting pitcher on this team, it's been here his whole career. I think that he is the, the veteran, and right now at 2-0 with a uh, .75 ERA, uh, I think he's definitely the ace until proven otherwise by someone else. And one guy, though, I do want to see more of as time goes on still is Jake Junis. He's only still mm-hmm. pitched uh, three innings, um, or seven innings, excuse me, with three hits and no earned runs. So I would hope that he gets more opportunities with the starting rotation as time goes on because he's had kind of a rough history, but – some guys just figure it out at different points in their career, so and they do. I could see Junis picking it up and making something of his life right now at this point. Yeah, it it, it all you know, every baseball is such a weird sport where everybody kind of picks it up all at different spots, right? You saw Eric Gagne pick it up towards the end of his career with the Dodgers. You see 
uh, I also see sometimes certain players that have it the entire time, such as Marino, Mariano Rivera. So it's it's a, such a weird sport. Sometimes you're on fire beginning this you beginning of your years with the major league baseball, and sometimes you suck, <laughs> and then you also you catch on fire. So it all depends. So you're basically saying that since Danny Duffy started on fire, that he's bound to suck here pretty soon. No, actually, he had a really rough patch in the middle of his career so far. You remember the whole Burger King and all that no. that happened. I think the guy has a. He started great with us for the first couple of years, had his rough patch with depression or whatever was going on, and now he's kind of figured out. He got your your Dono's number on now, and he actually kind of has a leg kick. I don't know if you guys noticed it with him, but he does a little your Dono leg kick now. No nope. And it's Yeah, it's hmm. great. All right, so, I'm sold. I, I think he's the ace I, right I think now. he's I, – I would consider if we had to pick an ace, I'd go Duffy. And I think for a future, for the next few years as well, I think his mentality is way better. Um, he would be, let's just say, I mean, maybe not as great, but maybe what Zach Granke would have been if he would have stayed with the Royals. He would have been the kind of pitcher we want. So I, I love Duffy. I love seeing him. I was confident with him going in, and he's just – he just shines when he's on the mound. That'd be a high praise if he's anything close to what Zach Grinky was. Oh man, how great would that be? That'd be well. That would definitely give us did an you ace. See, by the way, real quick, did you guys see that Zach Grinky threw a fifty-four mile per hour strike in the in the real life game? Sounds like something he would do. Yeah, it was I great. It. And the guy, the batter, just stood there because he's like, I don't even know what to. I, don't even I know bet Bruce Chen is jealous he could throw it that slow. <laughs> <laughs> so, but thinking of what you just said there, the guys like Wade Davis. Remember whenever he he was a starter originally, mm-hmm. and uh, that didn't work out very well. Put him in the bullpen. All of a, a sudden, like, his career took off. A rule change. And yeah. I feel like maybe a guy like Junis could be something similar at 28 years old. It was kind of trying to figure out his role with the team, starting him here as a relief pitcher, but then giving a chance as a starter. Maybe that's his niche. And, I don't and know. May, maybe for Junis, too, like this is a eye-opening theme, right? Kind of like with Derek Johnson and his benching with Todd Haley. Kind no, of I can go on about that for I know. hours. We, 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 you could, and, and Dwayne Bowe. You have. But you got to think about it. It could be something like that where it's like, oh, you know, crap, I don't want to be a bullpen guy. I want to be a starter. So there he goes. You know, he's got a new mentality going forward. He's fighting for something. He's fighting for that fifth uh, start or for the to be the fifth guy in the rotation. So it could just be a new mentality thing of something Matheny's doing with him to get his mind right. I hope that's the case. So I'm going to ask you guys this like probably every week, but at 6-4, and four, has your position still changed yet on the Royals finishing 500 or no? No, I'm still I'm still right there at the middle of the pack, five hundred. I'd say I'd say they finish like you said at the begin or beginning of the season. Yes, they do finish above five hundred, but I don't think they go very far above it. Yeah. No, I'm gonna stick with my position, which is definitely under five hundred. I mean, I still look at that starting rotation, like uh, I need to see a little bit more from them. So if I had to bet on it right now, it's probably going to be under 500, but you know, I, I like I said from the beginning, I hope I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I did want to uh, ask Tanner one question here: the fact that uh, Hunter Dozier was two for four yep. in the game today. So even though his average is still significantly fairly low right now, do you think this is the turning point for Hunter Dozier, Tanner? Do you think he's going to turn around? I think he'll turn around. He'll. I, He's coming off an injury as well, right? So he did get injured towards the first couple of games of the season. Um, give the, you got to give it time, right? Yeah. We're, we're only, what, three series in now? 
Um, you know, he he's got time. He's he's back healthy. He played really well at third. He's been really picking up on his bat as well. So give the guy time. We'll be fine with him. So I'm not I'm not too concerned about really anybody right now. Um, I was just more concerned for Brad Keller or Brad, yeah, Brad Keller. Uh, I just want to make sure he was turning around. That was our biggest thing, really. Yeah, I'm, I'm more than anything just excited to watch the offense still as the, as oh. the time goes on. How fun, I think it's a fun is that offense right now? It's a fun offense because everyone has their own different kind of ability. Like Santana's patience at the plate. Yes. Perez has been on fire. Merrill Field is so consistent. You know what you're going to get out of him every game. Uh, and then you guys, yeah, obviously guys like Dozier are kind of struggling at the moment. Benintendi finally got on, on base a couple times this previous game. So I'm hoping some of those guys can get a roll in, but um, – Overall, it's a it's a really weird mixture, but I think it's good and throws pitchers off. So I like that going forward for the yeah, team. Yeah, agreed. Now, as far as offense goes, you guys, did you guys notice Steph Curry of the NBA's uh, new milestone he reached? That was actually setting the franchise record for points, passing Wilt Chamberlain in the process. So he was apparently was taken out for like a nice dinner and some wine or whatever from Draymond Green. Um, but so it kind of got me thinking a little bit about Steph Curry and some of his legacy here in the NBA as a point guard. And he's put up some incredible numbers. I think he's one of the most efficient shooters of all time, honestly, uh, especially from the perimeter. Um, he's actually got right now a 43-and-a-half three-point shooter, makes him sixth all-time in history of the league. Uh, so I don't know if he's the best point guard of all time, but he might be the best outside shooter of all time. I know you my guys might have something to say about that. Um, now, if you talk about guys like Steve Kerr, maybe is on your list. Uh, but then again, I also say sample size because right now we're looking at 8.2 three point attempts per game from Steph Curry in his career, where Steve Kerr just had 1.8. So that sample size, I think, makes a big difference in the grand scheme of things. What's your guys' thoughts on Curry? Is someone better than him all time as a point guard? Uh, there's a lot of guys that are right there. I mean, when I look at the history of the game, especially with point guards, I've got a list here. I mean, you guys know I like lists. And uh, Steph Curry is averaging 24 points per game, and he's got three championships. And when I when I go over this list, I mean, you got a lot of guys with no championships or maybe one championship. But I don't think of Steph Curry as a point guard, and that's the problem when you're you're trying to define a superstar point guard that's true. in today's game. The, I mean, you have true point guards in today's game, but Chris Steph, Paul. yeah, Steph Curry is a combo guard uh, in much the same way that Damian Lillard is a combo guard. Well, they average the same amount of points per game. They're both twenty-four points per game. I mean, the only difference, basically, to me, is that. I think Steph Curry is a little bit more prolific scorer, uh, but they put up 24 points per game. Obviously, Steph's got the rings. He's got three championships. But to me, you look at James Harden, his whole career with the Houston Rockets, James Harden was playing the point guard under Mike D'Antoni. So he was running that offense, and James Harden has, you know, for his career, 25 points per game. And so... I mean, these guys are all shooting guards to me. If you want to talk about a true point guard, I've got to go all the way back to the logo, Jerry West. I knew you were going Jerry Played for West. the Lakers, and he averaged more points than all of these guys. He only had one championship, but if you're looking at the list of point guards, that he's the one, Then that's why he's the logo. He averaged 27 points per game. Um, my favorite guy 
that I ever watched in my lifetime is going to be Allen Iverson. I grew up my whole lifetime saying, okay, this is the greatest point guard of all time. But again, he, he was a scorer. He was a guy that looked to score first. And, you know, all these guys are kind of in that same range. If I had to pick one, though, guys, the, the, the greatest point guard of all time, and to me it's not even a debate, and I wasn't born yet when this guy played, but Oscar Robertson, to be able to average a triple-double, he essentially averaged a triple-double. Now, he was slightly under 10 for rebounds and assists it was like nine point something for five years but he essentially averaged a triple double for five straight years and he was a true point guard he was a guy that did not look to score first kind of like a lebron james you know he's a guy he was a guy that could score he could dominate you offensively and score at will but he was a past first guy and i don't put lebron james in this argument because lebron james is a small forward but I mean, to me, the greatest point guard in the history game is Oscar Robertson, without a doubt. No, that's very fair. And your your first statement about being not Steph, Steph Curry not being a natural point guard, right? He is a dual threat at shooting guard and point guard, and that's that's the trouble with today's NBA is you got players that aren't specifically each position they play multiple positions right LeBron he goes all the way down and sometimes he's even the center at sometimes you consider the center right so that's really hard to specify a position like that now Steph Curry the guy has redefined three-point land right we all know that like Reggie Miller Jerry West um, they actually came out of the article on ESPN about it and there's they're saying nobody you're not going to touch Steph Curry we thought Ray Allen was good but apparently Steph Curry is just the guy's made his own his own mark on it on the game and it's spectacular about beyond three point line. But as far as a pure point guard, man, you're you're talking you're better than the likes of Steve Nash, you're talking better than the likes of John Stockton, um, Chris Paul, right? We could all debate that. Uh, there's there's so many pure point guards. When you think point guard, Mike, what what do you what role do they take as a point guard? I'm also looking more for that perimeter type of a guy, obviously. A pass- Are you looking for a perimeter? Right, mainly? which obviously he's he's great at. He's phenomenal at that. Mm-hmm. But what's impressed me about what he's able to do, kind of like what you guys are saying, is that if you look at the, like the best rim drive scorers in the league over the last few years, he actually had a season where he had 1.28 points per attempt at driving to the rim, basically, mm-hmm. which would rank him fifth, uh, only behind guys like LeBron, Durant, Blake Griffin. And look at the size of those guys compared to Steph Curry. Uh, it's pretty impressive the fact he can drive to the lane that well and that easily, being that size compared to the others. Yeah, it's as a, as a pure point guard though. I mean, I love point guards. I think it's a it's a fun position to uh, play if you don't like getting in the paint. So, yeah, but he can do it all really. So, so like my view of the point guard is when I was playing, you know, back in the trailer park, we'd sneak over to play at the trailer park court. As a point guard, when I was point guard, it was. Uh, the vision, the vision to the other players is more of passing first than I was scoring or shooting, right? I wanted to get the Would you ball say they're the quarterback of, of basketball? You the, be the quarterback of basketball, <clears throat> man. Yeah. And that's what I think of. I've always thought of a point guard. So, yeah, Jason, it's it's hard to define Steph Curry. Uh, grant, granted, he has some sick passes. His vision is um, tremendous. But do we really consider him a true point guard? 
No, I don't think we do. And it's very difficult to even have this discussion, but I understand there's a lot of people out there. They're prisoners of the moment. This is what I see with my eyes right mm -hmm. now. And they think, wow, you know, Steph Curry has got to be at least what top five point guard of all time. Well, number one, he's a shooting guard. Number two, um, a lot of people like to bring up the argument. Well, if he's not the best point guard of all time, maybe he's the best shooter of all time. That's fair. And ESPN will sell this hard all day oh, yeah. long, every day. And the only problem I have with that is that if you look at their three point percentage all time, he's not even the best shooter in his whole family. And so I, I'm, it's Curry. very difficult. No, it's not even his dad. It's his what? brother. Seth? Seth Curry, for his lifetime, shoots 43.7 from three. Yeah, but I mean. Steph is only 43.3. Now, I granted, I know it's a little bit different volume there. Yeah, correct, correct. Okay. But Seth Curry has been in the league for a while. Yeah. And it's like, if you're going to start talking about the best shooters in the history of the game, it's kind of like uh, we used to talk about Peyton versus Eli Manning. You know, before Peyton finally, finally got that second Super Bowl <laughs> ring. Dude, you're not the GOAT because you're not even the best in your own family. It's kind of the same thing with uh, Steph and Seth here. I mean, Seth has a higher percentage. We all know that Steph is a better player. Uh, but, you know, he, I wouldn't call Steph Curry the best shooter of all time because another guy that's in the league right now that plays for the Brooklyn Nets, Joe Harris, yeah. actually has a higher three-point lifetime shooting percentage than Steph Curry. And, oh, by the way, he's got a, you know, you should at least be able to do better than your coach. So his coach, Steve Kerr, that's is a better all-time three-point percentage shooter. And his brother is a better lifetime three-point Well, do you think that shooter. plays into account, like what I said to start off this kind of topic, was about Steve Kerr only averaging 1.8 per game compared to 8.2 for Steph Curry? Well, Steve Kerr was a clutch player, so... Steve Kerr was a role player, not a superstar, obviously. Correct. Got lucky, played with Jordan, got lucky again, Spurs. played with the Spurs. But Steve Kerr was a guy that is just, you know, he's a role player that has multiple championships, got five rings. We're going to talk about rings later. But, right. um, yeah, I mean, so, if you're just talking about a guy with volume, yeah, I mean, he, he quite possibly is the best shooter that the game has ever seen. But I don't put that in the class with point guards. No, and if you're, I mean, you're going on shooter, right? So, yeah, if you go volume, he probably is probably top two, honestly. Um, but you also got to think, too, that we he may not be better percentage-wise than his own coach. But the difference between his coach and him is he had to help lead a team that became this monster of a team with Draymond Green and Clay Thompson, the Splash Brothers, right? Yeah. They they let off and got some rings there versus Kerr. He he had he had MJ, and then he had uh, 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 help me out Spurs. Oh Spurs. Spurs! I mean they had a they had the, that was a super everybody. team. Yeah, they had yeah, three or four team. players there. Like how? Yeah, you're not leading that team. Kerr would never let a team solely like Steph Curry did. Steph right. Curry came in the league and he got. You know, Draymond Green came in, Clay Thompson came in, they clicked, and next thing you know, they're they're the monsters of the West. So it's yeah, it's I mean, tough. and we're going to talk a little bit about super teams later. But my whole thing with Steph Curry is that the the guy doesn't get enough credit. I mean, he's got three championships, and people say, oh well, he couldn't do anything without Kevin Durant. Well, yeah, he actually did. He like did. he he won a championship before Kevin Durant got there, so he proved himself. 
It's not like he needed to bring KD in there to prove himself. No, he already had a ring, and now he's got three rings, which, uh, interestingly enough, it's only one less ring than LeBron James. So um, he's on the path that I predicted last week of uh, being a better player than LeBron James all time. Well, so real quick, (laughs) Jason Jr., sometimes I feel the hate of LeBron. So LeBron, when he's playing, right, he leads teams to – one seeds, he leads teams to national cha- national championships. Steph Curry, they're not a one seed, and he's back. Yes, they suck when he's out, but there's a difference of a player. There's also difference of position and everything like that. So I I don't know about that take real quick. But well, who does Steph Curry have playing with him right now? Is it Draymond. like uh, Draymond and Andrew Wiggins? I mean, yeah, that is that comparable to the 2007 Cavs, where it's just like LeBron and. You other players. The only difference is, no. and I, I know what you're getting to here. You're trying to like, you know, LeBron make me sound to- like an idiot. The only problem is Steph Curry's playing in the Western Conference, and mm-hmm. he's not playing in this dog shit 2007 Eastern Conference. Where, yes, I'm sorry, if you did put Steph Curry on that Cavs team in 2007, yes, he would go to the finals oh, just Lord. like LeBron did. It's not that difficult. No! Dog shit Eastern <laughs> Conference in 2007. That's a bad comparison, Tanner, They'd be to playoffs. the Western Conference of today. It. The Western Conference is loaded. You're yeah. saying if you loaded just, just swapped right LeBron now. with Steph Curry in that situation? Is yeah. that what you're saying? Correct. Yeah, but easily, that, easily that they would go. Crappy cast team. Easily, they'd, they'd be back there again with Steph as the uh, leader of that team. Yeah, by far. I, I think so, without a doubt. <laughs> what did you guys think about that team, though, with the, with the, uh, Steph was on back in 2017? They had guys like Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, and Angue, Andre Iguodala. <laughs> did you guys think that was a super team, or was that close enough? No, I don't think it was. Not quite I don't, a super I don't, team. I don't think at the time it was a super team at all. When were they a super team, you think? I think it came two years after that. It started to become a super two team. Two years after that, Okay. Well, that's very interesting because I was thinking about the idea of NBA and the situation. We're actually we were just watching the Nets game here a little bit ago, and it was Nets versus uh, Philadelphia, and the Nets are loaded right now. I mean that that's a team that has no business losing games whatsoever. And I'm not even sure if you guys have the final score in front of you at the moment, but um, I did. I think looking over that roster though, I started to think to myself, is the NBA going to become too predictable over time when they develop these super teams where everyone just you know, they see one superstar go there, and then the next superstar just jumps on and piles on. Is it going to get to where you think the NBA should have a little more parity in it and get it to where it's more similar to this NFL structure um, as far as, to, I don't know, even out somehow in free agency how guys can be maneuvered around within rosters? I feel like the NBA is very top-heavy. I feel like you got a lot of really bad teams and you got a lot of really good teams. And I feel like there's not enough in between to where there's not enough unknown in sports right now. I think you know pretty much every year who's going to be there in the top two in the finals. And is that irritating as a fan of the NBA, Jason? Or do you believe in the idea of, of super teams whatsoever? It's only irritating if you're not a true NBA fan. And so I can honestly just call myself a true NBA fan. And the reason I'm not annoyed by it is because we've had super teams basically since the 1950s. So um, back then you had the Boston Celtics. I think uh, Bill Russell won 11 championships. That was a super team. 
We don't think of it as that because we're prisoners of the moment, but they had Bob Cousy, John Havlicek back then, and those guys, it was very difficult to beat them. And then, you know, I think maybe like in the 1970s, that was the only decade that I can think of in the history of the NBA where we didn't have super teams. You move to the 80s, you got the Boston Celtics. They had Tiny Archibald, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, Larry Bird. 1980s Lakers had Magic, Kareem, and Worthy. That was a super team. Mm-hmm. 1990s, I'm not even going to talk about that, but that, that was one of the eras where you only had two all-stars on one team. So you only had Jordan and Pippen, and that's comparable actually to the 2000 Lakers that only had Kobe and Shaq. So when you look at the 2000 Lakers and the 90s Bulls, those are kind of the only two dynasties that I can think of that were not super teams because moving up to 2013, they always, you know, they always try to shame LeBron James. Oh, well, you know, they say LeBron created the super team. Well, that's not true. That's not true. I mean, the 2013 Heat, yeah, I'll give you that. They had LeBron, D. Wade, Chris Bosh, and Ray Allen. So that, you know, that's four superstars, although Ray Allen – he was kind of at the tail end of his career, although he single-handedly won that championship by hitting that three-pointer. But LeBron didn't create the super team. This has been going on forever and ever. And then you go one year later to the 2014 Spurs. I mean, why do you think the Heat lost that series? Because the Spurs had a super team. Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, Kawhi Leonard, who won the finals MVP. And you can even look at the 2012 Oklahoma City Thunder. I mean, they didn't even win the finals. They lost to LeBron. That was another super team. They had KD, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, a Serge Ibaka, who was in his prime at the time. 2016 Cavs, that's a super team. LeBron, Kyrie, Kevin Love, Golden State Warriors, KD, Steph, Clay. I mean, you, people always like to say, well, the Golden State Warriors created the super team. That's not true. All they had was KD, Steph, and Clay. I'm not. Nobody in their right mind is going to sit there and say that Draymond Green's a superstar, no. right? He's a great, overhyped, a role player but that plays the, great defense. He's the, the same best as, defensive player ever. Oh yeah, I'm sure he is. <laughs> well, you know, and they they did give Andre Iguodala the Finals MVP because yep. of the job that he did on LeBron James, and he did play great defense. But again, Andre Iguodala was sort of at the end of his career by then. And I'm just not buying it, dude. I mean, there's no way that you can say that Warriors team was any more of a super team than the other super teams that I just told you dating back to the 1950s. Mm, That's interesting. Did you know actually the very first free agent in NBA history was Tom Chambers? I'm not sure if that rings a bell. It was in 1988, and he actually went from the Seattle Supersonics to the Phoenix Suns, and apparently it was looked at kind of as an honor at the time for him to be able to be the first one to do it. The NFL's current free agency system was introduced in 1993, actually, which makes sense. We saw a lot of maneuvering going around in the NFL in the mid to late 90s of guys mixing around. Um, And I I thought it was interesting as time went on, and I think this previous year in the NFL, it was one of our first true times of seeing a super, super team get built. And I don't know if it kind of flew under the radar or what, because during the offseason, you guys, before, you know, back when we were doing this podcast in late July of 2020, 
we were talking about the Buccaneers and how that team should be in the Super Bowl on paper because you guys just got Tom Brady. Rob Gronkowski was coming back. They already had uh, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Um, then you add in, obviously, Leonard Fournette on on air was chosen or chose to go to yep. the Buccaneers while we were live on air during that show. And they already had Ronald Jones, which I think very highly of, and a good offensive line. And then Cameron defensive Bray. side. And who else? Hat Cameron Brait. Cameron Cameron Brait. Uh, obviously, he, well, he was they already. They had three starting yeah, tight ends. Yeah, so he, they already had the starting tight ends. Right. And then you add in Antonio Brown during the season as well, uh, which we all know at times can be an elite talent when his head's on straight. Uh-huh. And then we're talking about already with the number one rush defense in the league. We already knew the defense was going to be good. We already knew how good guys like uh, Levante David were going to be. And and then they add in the mix of all the other guys that they had up on that team that are just ridiculous. The Buccaneers were a super team in the NFL. And them going to win the Super Bowl shouldn't surprise anyone, actually, because we all saw it coming kind of like we, I think we could see teams like the Nets coming um, to win the NBA Finals this year. And uh, I just think in, in, in NFL history, at least, pr- at least recent history, we've not seen – a super team be built to win consistently. I know I remember the Andy Reid's Philadelphia Eagles back when Michael Vick was coming out of his little rehab from uh, the dogfighting incidents, and Andy Reid gave him a second chance. Vick came back, came back in the NFL, had his best passing season of all time. But not only that, but they had uh, LaShawn McCoy, Deshaun Jackson, Jeremy Macklin on that team. Brent Selleck was in his prime. And then on defense, you had guys like Fletcher Cox, Trent Cole, D'Amico Ryans, Michael Kendricks, Dominique <laughs> rogers Camardi, and Nnamdi Asamoah. And so that was a super team. Guess what record they ended up with in 2012? They went 4-12 and 12 that season. And so that's a super team on paper that failed. So the NFL, I don't think it's going to work consistently to do that every single year because there is enough parity in the league already, top to bottom, where I think you can have a team like the Dolphins upset the Patriots like we've seen in the past, where I don't know if that's something you can see consistently happen in the NBA. And that I'm glad you brought up the point about that Philadelphia Eagles team because it reminded me of the 2004 Lakers mm-hmm. when you know Shaq and Kobe they finally lost that one year to the Spurs yep. and so they added Gary Payton and Karl Malone that was a super team now granted Karl Malone was they kind of at the, the tail end, end of their yeah. his career and so was Payton but that was essentially a super team now they didn't go four and twelve like the Eagles. But uh, they didn't win a championship. They got destroyed by an NBA team, the Pistons, that had zero superstars. There were absolutely no superstars on that team. And so my whole point of this whole discussion is that I don't have a problem with super teams because that doesn't mean you're going to win. You still have to have passion for the game, and you still have to get the job done. And in my mind, just looking at the NBA here, I think – in my mind, the best teams in the history of the NBA, at least, are the dynasties that could do it with only two great players. Not three, not four, not, you know, like LeBron James likes to stack all of his teams, but I look at the Shaq and Kobe <laughs> Lakers of the early 2000s, right? Only two superstars on all of those teams. What did they do? They three-peated. What did Jordan and Pippen do? Three-peated yeah. twice. And I, I've got to point out one other team, and that was the 1971 Milwaukee Bucks that had Kareem and Oscar Robertson. So that was, those are three examples of a big two. If you can figure out a way to get it done with the big two, you're an all-time great team. And I'm not trying to you know undersell these super teams that actually won a lot of championships. I think those are all great teams. 
But, I mean, when you're looking at the all-time best of the best, I'm looking at those three teams, at least in the NBA, that they only had yeah. two superstars and they got it done. So does so in your mind, NFL, NBA, whatever, Major League Baseball, right, does super, super teams hurt the sport as a fan or do they – does it matter or does it – like what do you guys um, think? I think it helps the sport, helps the honestly, sport. because – they can still lose. It doesn't prove anything if you build this monster roster and they can't win. Yeah, they're, they're probably going to win most of the time when you, when you pull off, uh, you know, amazing teams like this through free agency. But, I mean, it doesn't prove anything uh, until you actually win the championship. And so I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I like super teams. I think if, if nothing else, it's going to draw fans yeah. You know, you're going to sell tickets if, you know, and, and if, if that team is coming to your hometown, let's just say I'm on the Sacramento Kings. If I'm a fan of the Sacramento Kings, yeah, my team fucking sucks. But I'm going to buy tickets every time that Brooklyn Nets team comes to play in my arena. And so I, I think it's good for the NBA. And I, I think as far as just people getting tired of watching the same teams over and over again, it's, it's really not because – I just went over the list for you guys. It yeah. went from the Celtics to the Lakers to the Spurs to the Heat to, you know, the Thunder didn't get it done, but the Thunder had a super team to the Golden State Warriors. It's not the same team over and over again. We're not sitting here right now talking about how, oh, we're so tired of seeing the Golden State Warriors win all the time because they're not doing shit right now. And so I think super teams are great for the league. They sell tickets. They keep people interested they sell jerseys and they help uh the younger fans identify with you know maybe their favorite superstar yeah that's fair mike yeah i mean for me being someone who's not as much of a fan of the nba as you jason i think it probably does draw more interest uh when i'm casually watching a game because if we're you know we're talking about earlier putting on that nets game I much prefer to watch the Nets over any other team because I want to. I like watching domination. I like watching a team dominate. Do I like knowing the outcome every time? No, because that would get very boring. But I like watching a special team do special things. Just like whenever the Patriots went sixteen and zero, and I wanted them to go sixteen. I wanted them to go nineteen and zero, and they had losing to the Giants in the Super Bowl. And that team obviously had Randy Moss, Brady, Wes Welker, and his prime, and all. You know, I think they even had. I think Dante Stallworth was not even on that team. I think so. um, but there's a bunch of weird guys like that. But um, I liked watching that team. Every time that team was going to be on, I wanted to watch it because I thought it was something historic. And I did want them to go, and I, I wanted them to win the whole thing, 19-0. And it didn't happen. And that's, for me, kind of as a – like you're relaying to as an NBA fan, you like super teams. For me, on the NFL side, I like super teams too because I think that's fun to watch – these teams put together this thing, watch it all work out, and I don't like watching it crumble like what got Andy Reid fired back in 2012 from the Eagles, which brought Andy Reid to the Chiefs, obviously, because how the hell could a coach uh, have that much talent and go 4-12? and That was the thought process at the time. And I guess the, the players or the team or the ownership stopped believing him at some point, and so at some point his message wasn't getting across anymore to the players. And that's a lot of big heads in one room too, so – Keep in mind, there was a time when McNabb and, and Michael Vick were on the same team, too. And I don't know how well they got along necessarily, but there was always that little battle of he's right behind, he's right on your neck, you screw up too much, the other guy's going in. And so that was also something to think about at, at times. And they were, it was cool to watch because it was a bunch of superstars, a bunch of big names. Yeah. Um, 
And obviously the Eagles did not work out. The Buccaneers this year did work out. And I don't think it's talked about enough this year that the Buccaneers did put together a super team. It just kind of went under the radar, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think my, my biggest issue with this whole discussion is just the fact that people don't look at history. They try to sit there and say, oh, my gosh, I'm sick and tired of super teams when we just documented the history for you in the NBA. It's been going on all along, all the way back to the 60s. And, uh, you know, when you look at the Bucks. I mean, I don't have a problem with the Bucks. Yeah, they re-signed everybody, and I don't even care if Antonio Brown comes back because you know what? Tom Brady's one year older. Rob, Rob Gronkowski is one year older. Mm-hmm. Somebody's going to break down. And just because they're a super team doesn't mean they're going to win. You still have to play the games and see what's going to happen. Yep. No, I, that's a fair like, – those are all really fair points. Um, so my hope for the NBA – was remember when Chris Paul was supposed to be traded to the Lakers and the NBA just said no, it's not you're not doing this. Yeah, I disagreed with that. I disagreed with that. I was that. like, why? Now now you got teams like Kate and the Nets, you had teams like the Lakers, like we you showed a few like a couple years later, then you had the Heat, right? What what's the difference between Chris Paul going playing with Kobe Bryant versus LeBron James Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade playing all together. Yeah, no, I think they should have let it happen because I don't think they would have won. I mean, you, you still – it doesn't matter what you are on paper. No. You still have to prove that you can get it done, and I'm not sold on the fact that, you know, I don't think Chris Paul would have won a championship no, with that team. I, there's there's no evidence of that. I, th- I think it was a horrible move by the NBA, and it was just – it was really unfortunate because it would have been actually kind of cool to see – Kobe Bryant, Chris Paul play together. Yeah, and I and, and I think that's the biggest scene to take away from the super teams. Yes, super teams suck if it's not for your team, but also the super teams are really good because you get to see some of these players, the high profile players, high big name players, right, get to play with play with each other. Like how how cool is it to see a Tom Brady and Randy Moss play with each other? You know what I mean? Oh, I loved it whenever like, we saw Brett Favre throw a touchdown to Randy Moss. There we you know, go. That, that was see? pretty cool back in the day, too. Yeah, like it's, it's these players that we all follow, right, with different teams. But when they combine up, there's a lot of haters and there's a lot of people that love it. And it's it's fun to see. KD, Kyrie, James Harden, especially the James Harden-KD reunion, it's really awesome to see. Um, you know, it's, it's teams like this. You guys got, just got to enjoy it. You really do as a fan. If you're not a fan, I'm, I mean, you're obviously you're you're not liking the sport for something, because these are these are exciting times to be able to see this. Um, so it's, I think it's good for the league. I think it's great for the NBA. It's great for the NFL and the, even for the Yankees. Right, the Yankees. There's a reason why they're the hated franchise outside of New York, and it's because they create these super teams. So you. It, w- it wouldn't be in Major League Baseball without somebody hating the Yankees. So you got to think about that. Yeah, and I'll throw one other thing out there. I mean, I as a fan, I do hope the Nets do win the championship this year with LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin as their number four and number five options. But guess what, guys? Even if they win the championship, all you haters out there, what's going to happen next year? That same team is probably going to have a couple of injured bums and come back down to earth, and they yeah. won't be able to repeat because that's one of the hardest things to do is win two years in a row, and I'm expecting probably the same thing will happen with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Not going to be able to do it two consecutive I, I years. I doubt the Nets even stick together. I mean, that's a lot of high-profile players that are probably going to go out and get some 
you know, some good money somewhere. So they can't do it. They can't be like we can't all be like Kobe and no. Jordan and just win three in a row like it's nothing. No. no. Yeah, we saw that even even with Patrick Mahomes, we thought there was a chance, and <laughs> I mean, as of right now, that's not the case. That's going to happen anytime soon, anyway. Yeah, he's not as good as yeah. Troy Aikman, right, Mike? Oh yeah, of Aikman course. got three in a row, didn't he? Aikman, I think uh, Bradshaw had. Did he have three in a row? Two or three in a row. But, anyways, uh, did you guys see at least some of the news uh, from yesterday about Julian Edelman retiring from the NFL? I don't know if this is going to stay that way or not. According to Rob Gronkowski, he's got a 69% chance nice. of returning. Uh, if he does return, he's going to return probably to the Bucks at some point. We just know how that's going to play out. But uh, if, he does, if he does stay retired, so one of the things that I was kind of thinking about with Julian Edelman's situation is here is just can we not just let a guy retire and just be happy with what he gave us for the sport and how fun it was to watch him in clutch situations come up big, always available, always running the, the most crisp routes for Tom Brady throughout his career. Obviously, we can't do that because what happened was it sparked a couple things, an outpouring admiration from his former teammates and as well as a overload of hot takes talking about is Julian Edelman Hall of Fame worthy? And I'm just like, why does this have to be immediately questioned when we were first of all it's five years out before he's even able able eligible to be in the hall of fame and even then like if you look over his career he had some he had some injuries obviously so that take take that into account when he was on the field as we know we both like to draft him in fantasy football he's a ppr machine we loved his consistency on the field obviously but he only had three 1000 yard seasons he had four years of 90 plus catches uh finished his career with 7,000 receiving yards Always been clutch in the playoffs, good return, man. But the thing is, like, yeah, yeah, there's better receivers ahead of him. They're not in yet. Guys like Torrey Holt, Reggie Wayne, Andre Johnson, Steve Smith, Anquan Bolden, Heinz Ward, and Jimmy Smith. Are you going to take Julian Edelman over any of those guys for the Hall of Fame? Not a chance. I don't think so. Not a chance. So, and I'm not here trying to even compare these guys. I think it's foolish right now to sit and compare careers right now when I just think what Edelman gave to Brady and to the sport was, was wonderful. And I thought as a player, he was great on the field. I loved watching him uh, from when he came up replacing Wes Welker in the slot right there. And he did it flawlessly. Um, So as far as Edelman goes, I know it's something you guys probably wanted to talk about. But do you guys have an opinion on if he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame or not? I mean, he just – my opinion doesn't matter. He's just not going to get in. That's plain and simple. It's not going to happen. When I look at this guy – you guys are going to stab me in the back here because I'm going to make another NBA reference, but he's basically <laughs> Robert Ory, right? Robert Ory got it done in the clutch, just like Julian Edelman did. So when it was clutch time, they got it done. And But, you know, Robert Ory's never going to be in the, you know, the Basketball Hall of Fame because he only averaged like seven points a game. But that's, that's what I compare him to uh, is because, you know, Robert Ory had seven championships. Julian Edelman had three championships. But they were all on great teams, and so he's never going to get credit for that. I'm with you, Mike. You know, I, I enjoyed watching him as a player. And I think, um, you know, honestly, Tom Brady, he needed to have Julian Edelman in those three championships. Uh, but he's not a Hall of Fame player, and so I, I'm not even sure why this is being discussed at length other than the fact that I think he was great for the game. And yeah. so uh, the, only, all the only other thing that I would say that they might hold against him if he was going to get in is that uh, the PED suspension that he had 
might be. I mean, if, if you're if you have to flip a coin, he's not getting in because of that. But I mean, I just the the receptions are there, and I appreciate that. But the total yardage is not there, and he's just not a Hall of Fame receiver in my mind. I think that's brought up though. The reason it's questioned at all is because we saw what he did on the field, and he always made big plays and big moments. And that's what made it. I mean, you guys remember the catch uh, in the Super Bowl, I believe, where he got, the ball got tipped up in there, he's laying on his back, and then hauls it in that way. I mean, that, and that was just incredible to see. Ball was a centimeter from touching the turf yeah. and stuff like that. And then, of course, in games against the Chiefs in history, as, as us as Chiefs fans, we already knew it was third down, they're going to go to Edelman. He's probably one of the top ten third down receivers of all time. I could see that being a case. Uh, but as far as just uh, his longevity of the game, health-wise, and uh, just the situation he had himself in, I don't think you can sit there and say he's should be in there above some names we see currently even in the league. It's going to be tough for him to ever get in, but I think we could just can we just appreciate the player and be happy he did what he did yeah. for the game and enjoy it that way, and maybe we'll see another one like him someday. Yeah, no, it's it's appreciation of the the stuff that he he brought to the to the game for Tom Brady to the championships right uh your guys's fantasy teams cuz I never had them so like it's the guy was a small player he wasn't really supposed to make it but he ended up being on the field all the time you know he took those hard hits he was the guy in the middle a Wes Walker he took over Wes Walker seamlessly um so yeah like I I agree with Jason I don't think he's going to be a Hall of Famer. There's just too many great wide receivers ahead of him, and even more that will be coming out of the NFL class, right, To that he will not be a Hall of Famer. But, Mike, Mike, mm-hmm. we got to watch him. we got to watch him because Tom Brady's going to play his game. I, I, he, I don't really believe he's fully done right now. I, I, think I, I don't either. Some – he well, fit. here's the thing. If, so, if Antonio Brown does not return to the Buccaneers. Antonio Brown's returning. I mean, come on. Who it's do you one think, or the other. Do you think he wants Edelman or do you think he wants Antonio Brown? I mean, is that – I guess it's kind of a difficult question because he probably – He's got <laughs> he more probably, trust in Edelman. He has more trust in Edelman, but, I mean, Antonio Brown's a little bit younger, so. Antonio Brown's harder to get on the team right now because Seattle's fighting for him. Supposedly the Chiefs were interested at one time. If, if money but, matters at all, Edelman I can think, come in for cheap, I, I think. I think That's the, true. I think the big question with Edelman right now of if he comes back or not is – well, he passed that physical, right? So the only reason he really mm-hmm. retired was he failed the physical for the Patriots, and the Patriots said, "See you later." Right. So and that doesn't and that doesn't mean he didn't he never pass the physical again. No, no correct. Wait, but wait, 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 wait. Is it is the reason why he didn't pass the physical because he didn't get the vaccine, or was it something else? No, no, no I think it was something else. Oh, okay. I, I think just it was something else. I so maybe he got too much of the vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> So we got we just got to see right we got to see hey you know if if he does try to come back is it is it something else related outside of just physical right I, I like physically on him is it something maybe health related that we haven't heard about so it, he obviously he does have to pass the physical to be even accounted for because that field physical will probably deter a lot of teams anyways as it is. Well, we do have a long off season coming up still, so there's uh, a lot yeah. of things to play out from now till August. So we're only in April, and we still got another four months, five, whatever, four months left until we get to that point of whether or not we know Edelman's fully retired or if he's going to sneak his way onto the Buccaneers roster. So we'll see how that one plays out. But as you guys know, in 15 days is the NFL draft. I am excited, as <coughs> always, for the NFL draft. 
Every year it is one of my favorite days of the year, favorite weekends of the year, as a matter of fact, going <laughs> Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Why are you giggling, Jason? Why is it so funny to you? I'm excited for it. Okay. Dude. I'm excited you are for just, that draft. You're giddy. You're not, giggle, you're not giggling. You're giddy. <laughs> I see how it is. Okay. Well, I do have a couple guys, as you guys know, for the Chiefs to be picking at 31st overall if they stay in their spot. Actually, a couple of these guys they could even trade down for and maybe pick up in the early second round if it plans out that way. I have one that almost all of, all of you is going to sound is going to sound very familiar to all of you is Asante Samuel Jr., which is the son of Andy Reid's former uh, player, Asante Samuel, obviously. Uh, he comes in at 5'10", 182 pounds from Florida State, and he ran a 4'5", 240, which isn't exceptionally fast, but the guy's got instincts. He reminds me, I know I hate the comparison to it because it reminds me a little bit of Antoine Winfield Jr., his success coming into the NFL mm-hmm. and having those instincts from what his father has taught him over the years of growing up. So I think that does make a big impact on players, having that pedigree of your dad playing in the NFL and then you coming in and just naturally knowing how to pick up the game. And, I mean, those are two legendary father figures too. Absolutely. So, like, the talent you know has to be there. And this is a cornerback, by the way, and I've talked to you guys before about this. I think cornerback actually is a little bit more of a need, and especially in today's game with the passing situation the way it is, injuries. And I've always talked about the flashbacks to Jamel Fleming getting torched by Peyton Manning. And I don't want to have bad depth at my corners, you know what I mean? I'm a big fan of Rashad Fenton, big fan of uh, Rashad Breland, obviously, and other guys on the team that have been good contributors to the team. And the youth, obviously, is, is our old rookie from last year, uh, played, came in and played great. So I wouldn't mind adding him. But really, the guy the Chiefs need on this roster as of right now is going to be Tevin Jenkins. And by the way, the Chiefs have talked to both of these guys, Asante Samuel and Tevin Jenkins. They've had meetings with both of them. Jenkins is from Topeka, Kansas, Jason's favorite city we were just visiting about a month ago. He went to Oklahoma State, comes in at 6'6", 315 pounds, played left tackle and right tackle a little bit, had 35 starts. He's a redshirt senior, so he comes in with a lot of maturity, and he's polished, so I think he's ready to step in day one and be a starter for someone. Um, according to Pro Football Focus, Tanner, he gave up no sacks the past two years and a total of 11 hurries. So that is good numbers to hear about. He's an it. aggressive blocker, I got good it. size. Uh, I think this offensive tackle class is why the Chiefs have been waiting in free agency to not pick up somebody. I think they're looking at these young guys and going, okay, we can grab a tackle here, put them at right or left, because there's a lot of depth in this year's class at tackle. And right around the spot the Chiefs are going to be picking in is the spot that I think you're going to see a couple guys come off the board that will step in day one and be a starter for their teams. So those are my guys uh, to watch out for. I'm going to give you, of course, we got two more uh, Wednesdays before the draft, so I'll have at least a few more names to throw out there for you. No, I love your I love your picks there. Asante Samuel Jr. would be great. Like you can never have too many good corners. To be honest, like look at the Packers, right? The Packers drafted corners actually consecutively. They have a, they had a lot of young guys at once, and it has actually worked out for them. So I am cool with the Asante Samuel coming into play, and I'm really cool about uh, Tevin as well. Another mm-hmm. guy, that's something similar to Lucas Nian, who did not give mm-hmm. up a sack. I like. Why, why wouldn't you give him a shot at least? There's going to be options without a doubt Let's for the do Chiefs it. there to pick up a good player. So um, I'm not sure he's going to fall there yet at this point. It's very up in the air. The draft is so unpredictable. Oh, it's very And I just think that with uh, the scouting and everything the Chiefs have obviously in place, they've got a track record of doing well in the past few years. Yep. 
So they're going to pick up a good player. I'm not worried at all. It's, it's so unpredictable that Justin Fields has went from anywhere between 3 and 15 in the mock. So you don't know yeah. where he's going. So, yeah, of course you don't know where Tevin will drop either. Yeah, exactly. And, and Fields is one that's interesting to me just because the guy's a phenomenal athlete. Oh, Only He's a, obviously just a sophomore coming out. So he's going to take some time. I, I I like him going to the Falcons. If he goes anywhere, I think that's the perfect tight, ideal team. Sit behind Matt Ryan for a year, and then from there take off. But I I don't think I would start Fields right away day one. I think he's going to take some time to mature because I've seen a few things on tape of him that get me a little iffy. I think people are falling in love with the height, weight, speed of Justin Fields of what he's doing uh, from an athletic wow. standpoint. His arm, his arm, and some of the tape I've watched too is pretty spectacular like mm-hmm. all right so Haskins came out right the year before yep obviously we know where he's at now right not very do, far <laughs> do, you have, do you have more confidence in Fields or do you have more confidence in Haskins absolutely Fields is a better prospect all the way around he's a smarter prospect um he's just he's better and every, I, I never believed in Haskins anyway yeah. I thought that I'm not even sure why overhyped. he was thought of and overhyped at the time but I think Fields has much more intangibles that can be working for his favor once he goes to the next level. And like I said, sit for a year. I don't think he's ready to come in day one. I think if he does come in day one, you're going to see a lot of mistakes early on, and that's not going to be pretty. So I think just give him a little bit of time, and we'll see how things play out. But I do like him quite a bit. He was actually on my um, college football fantasy team, um, both as a freshman and a sophomore. Um, So, yeah, I I liked him, and I had him on both teams both years. So So, so he benefited (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. I think I, I – did I win? I, I came close. I think you won the second. I can't even remember if I won at this point. It's been so long. So, um, yeah, what you guys – any, any takes as far as position needs still coming up? Not a whole lot's happened with the Chiefs the no, last I, few weeks. I know linebacker has been a, a key, uh, key position to look at still. A lot of people on Twitter have been talking about it too outside of just the offensive line. So I think linebacker would definitely be, would be a nice second-round, third-round pick. For sure. So we'll we'll just have to see though as we continue on of maybe more free agent transactions happening. So yeah, we'll see how it all plays out come draft day here in two weeks. Yeah. Um, so Tanner, you wanted to talk about Aaron Donald for a minute. Are you scared of him? Dude, I, I'm not fighting him. That's fair. <laughs> I, did you see the picture of the guy? Did you see that? I saw the picture. I saw the picture of the guy. So uh, yeah. yeah. Tell me about what happened. I'm not even totally sure of the all story. All right. So he was in a nightclub in. Uh, I think Pittsburgh, and he was in the boom, boom, boom room. The what? Boom, boom room. What does that mean? I don't know. I assume it's a private room, right? Private room in a nightclub? <coughs> yeah. What do you think goes on in there? I don't want to know. I can tell you that. Mm. So um, so the guy apparently, axed, this is from uh, the guy that got beat up, accidentally bumped into Aaron Donald, right? Aaron Donald mm-hmm. started cussing him out and shit. And then they met outside, and Aaron Donald called him out and just started him and his posse just started beating him, but mainly Aaron Donald. And the guy ended up with, like, a black guy and everything like that. So, obviously, that's not one guy you want to tick off. Like, I'd be sorry, 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 like, I don't know what to do, don't hurt me kind of thing. Like, I mean, you got to be pretty aggressive to, like, if someone bumps. Like, I go to concerts, <coughs> or at least I used to go to concerts all the time. Yeah. And we're all moshing, bumping into each other everywhere, and, like, uh, we're all pretty happy afterwards. Well, this, this was also, at, I think, at, like, 3 a.m., so. Oh, okay. Who knows how many drinks and that stuff. That is true. Happened. Bottle service Hammered. and everything. Yeah. Everyone was probably wasted, and so I could see that going down that way, I suppose. So, yeah, that's the pictures were crazy, and, I, yeah. I, is this going to affect him in the yeah. season, you think, at all? 
I heard it possibly could. I heard it possibly could. If suspension uh, potentially potential suspension. Um, if there's more, there's potential video I heard coming out. Okay. Um, which could hurt them as well. So a lot of a lot of times when video drops, we see suspensions, uh, cuts, NFL steps in, stuff like that. So well, I mean, there's, I guess, watch and see. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Like, <laughs> if this was a woman in that situation, he's probably banned for life from the NFL. Kareem Hunt. Yeah, exactly. Ray Rice. Exactly. It would be something yeah. similar to Kareem Hunt, I suppose. I think it'd be similar to Ray Rice. Similar to Ray Rice, where he's pretty much out, ousted yeah, forever. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was an old bum, though. He would have came if he would have been a little bit younger and had possibly another uh, another productive year or two left in him. He would have come back. I mean, Aaron Donald defensively is the best player in the league. Like, I don't think uh, from a from a positional standpoint or anything like. There's anyone you could say is better than him no. from what he does. Like, here's Aaron Donald at defensive tackle way up here by the ceiling, and then the next closest guy, which we could make an argument of, you know, a few different guys, Chris Jones being in the mix. Yeah. Even. He's pretty far down underneath Aaron Donald from that positional standpoint. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think anyone else is even close to being that big of a gap from one to two on the, on the positional scale anyway. So. Yep, yep. Anyways, I will see. I guess we'll see uh, if he gets a sp- suspension or not yes. as time goes on, gets closer to the season. I mean, for you guys, is there anybody particular in any sport that you would not pick a fight with, no matter what? I mean, that's, Aaron Donald? that's easy for me because you talked about the fact that this guy accidentally bumped into accidentally bumped into him. Aaron Donald. Well, I, I'm going to take it back to 1997. <laughs> when I actually ran into Mike Tyson at LAX in a gift shop. (laughs) And I made a point not to accidentally bump into this guy. I was like, there's no way in hell I'm going to talk to him. The sports fan in me was just like, oh, my gosh, I should probably go get his autograph, right? I was like, this dude was in his prime in 1997. He's only like 5'9", 5'10", but he is probably about the size. At the time, uh, maybe you could probably fit five of me into this guy that's how big he was i was like man i really want his autograph but i'm not going to mess with him i'm not going to accidentally bump into him certainly not going to try to fight the guy (laughs) so that that would that guy would be number one on my list as far as a guy that i would not want to have a fight with might bite your ear off even if you got too close so that's very true never know with that guy i don't know and that was in his prime right 97 he was winning championships at the time right oh yeah i mean i think that that was Probably close to the time where he was getting ready to lose his first fight, but I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, he's a he's a great guy nowadays. I mean, he th- he's he's changed his life and everything. I think uh, attitudes changed. Yeah. You know, if I if I if I could run into him again, I would have a completely <laughs> different attitude towards the guy. You wouldn't be as as afraid, right? To say, hey, Mister Tyson. Oh yeah, I mean, I and these days I would walk walk right up to him just to get his autograph because I know it's a little bit different scenario right now that's a fair example mike yeah. who you got like who i think, think? The, the true answer to this when i'm talking about running into <laughs> any athletes covid uh i would not <laughs> want to fight any athlete that's the correct answer that is right. i mean any pro athlete i don't think i can really think of any pro wnba athletes. i would not want to fight any wnbas mm. i mean they're all bigger than me so uh, i'm not interested not the point guards the point no. guards are not bigger they're than still you. meaner Maybe maybe I'd wrestle some volleyball players, but that would be the extent of it. So I don't think I could go fight any other athletes, though. I'd say no to all of them. But like, if I was like to be most intimidated by one, just because I used to watch WWE all the time, like I think Brock Lesnar is pretty scary. So I would not want to fight him because I've seen him, you oh, know, be, be pretty. Mean I to did people. think about him, and he Lesnar? was probably sec- yeah. But, 
He was second on my list behind Tyson. The only thing that makes me not want to say him is that whenever he tried out for the Minnesota Vikings, he got his ass kicked. Like, when he went to practice against real NFL linemen, they shoved his ass all over the place. He got pissed off. He tried to fight, actually, the Kansas City Chiefs at one point <laughs> during a practice back in, uh, I think it was 2007. And uh, that did not work out very well for him. All he wanted to do was fight instead of uh, play football. <laughs> but so, and he obviously went to UFC. I think he won in UFC. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, he's a scary-looking guy for sure. Uh, but then again, like I said, pretty much any of them, I'd rather just not. I'm, no, uh, I, I interested. fully agree. I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover, you know, so. You'd go to the Boom Boom Room? I'd go to the Boom but Boom Room. But you would room. not bump into Aaron Donald. I would not bump into Aaron Donald. You would, you would tell Aaron Donald, I'm only here for the loving. I'd be up in the, the what, curl ball position. Is mm-hmm. that what they call it, right? When you get on the ground, just cover your head. And You'd be like a roly-poly to him. He'd, like, he'd like pick you up like a roly-poly and just oh, no, throw I, you. I'd probably throw it th- through the wall or something. Um, for my guy, actually, so as a Royals fan, the one guy that – comes up to my mind is Kyle Farnsworth when our reliever about midway like the guy was the, apparently the, like the meanest guy ever and I wouldn't like every time I saw him out of the mound I, I wouldn't touch him but the main guy I would never pick a fight with was Nolan Ruby Nolan Ryan even as he got older oh hell no like the guy you, you saw pictures we, we talked about this at one time on a podcast we don't know about Nolan Ryan and the guy is just unbelievably just he, once he gets pissed off, he's pissed off. And he knew how to fight. That and he knew how to fight. Yeah, he stood in there <laughs> against guys twice his size and took him to town. So, yeah, forget that. I, I'm, I wouldn't even touch that guy. Yeah, another guy that I think I could pretty easily take him out is Plaxico Burris because he would just shoot himself. Shoot himself in the like, foot. I, I win, right? I win at that point. I won the fight. Yeah, you just walk away after that. Yeah, I guess Braun Strowman would be scary, too, speaking of oh, wrestlers. Man. That guy's a monster. I don't know if you've seen him, Jason. He's a monster. He's, like, twice the size of Brock Lesnar, and that's, that's pretty I'm not. Scary. I don't mess with monsters. That's, yeah, that's no, <laughs> no monsters. <laughs> Unless I'm drunk, then I, might, then I might get a little bit more strength, like Popeye when he eats all of his spinach. you got to outsmart him in that case. So, oh, man. Well, you guys have any last words? <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> all right, then. Well... In that case, follow us on Twitter, at Sports Buffoons, and Instagram, at Sports Buffoons. And we have a Facebook going, too, right, Tanner, and YouTube? That's right, Facebook, Sports Buffoons. All uh, the things. Get us on Twitch and YouTube, All both at Sports Buffoons, guys. So uh, make sure you give us a follow. Uh, you definitely can see us when we stream as well. Get your alerts there. Uh, and don't forget, to, uh, if you're on YouTube, subscribe, ring the bell. Uh, and then... Give a like, guys. Give a like on all the platforms. So we're on all major podcast platforms. Absolutely. So with that said, thank you all for listening, and I will see you all on the next one. Thanks, guys. JG is out. See you guys.